0: Welcome to, to Hearts and Other Sex Parts,
1: a podcast about redefining yourself and your relationships.
0: This is a safer space for the LGBTQ community, people of color, all genders, and gender nonconforming individuals, differently abled people, and all relationship types. These discussions will be strictly body and sex positive. We're your queer hosts. I'm
1: Keely C. Helmick, licensed professional counselor. I'm Jay, resident queermo and sex ambassador. We'd like to state that our pronouns are she, her. For every guest we have on the show, they will
0: introduce their pronouns as well, should they choose to. At the end of every podcast, we will close with a poem that goes with the theme of the show. Today, we are sitting with Jesse Reamer. Jesse, thank you for giving us your time today. Thank you. <laughs> yes, hello. Jessie, I heard you have witnessed the superpowers of the vagina over a thousand times. Mm,
2: yes, <laughs> it's been my pleasure and my passion to be able to witness really for most of my adult life, um, the journey for which people bring. Humans into the world. I think it's the essential thing we do on the planet. So yeah. I'm
0: excited that I get to do it. Yes. So you, you specialize in everything from unmedicated birth to cesarean and postpartum recovery and are sex a sex positive doula trainer. Uh, you are also a significant person in bringing the doula program to the Providence Women's Clinic here in Portland, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. That's the clinic I go to. I love it. Yay! <laughs> And Jesse, you also co-founded
1: Mother Tree Birth Services in 2001. Mm -hmm. Um, For those of you that don't know, Mother Tree is one of the leading doula organizations here in Portland that serves parents and provides doula training. Can you tell us what moved you to open your practice and what services you're most passionate about? Mm-hmm. Well, I
2: want to back up first and just mention that I would be a she, her in terms of pronouns, and um, I would define myself as hetero flexible. So just because we're mixing all of our topics today, birth and sex, and it kind of all goes together. Yeah. Um, for me, the reason that I came to this career, this passion, this calling was through the desire to fulfill on a connection that started with my own birth process. I was a preemie baby, not my parents' birth plan. And I started as a young adult going to all my family's births. So from seven years old till being in my early twenties, I was attending home births with my family. And these were women that were raw and powerful and naked, and 20 women would be in the room massaging her. And so that was my experience, is this is- That's intense. It was amazing. It was just like, this is birth. Yeah. And, uh, And then I was invited to my friend's birth, and she had an epidural induction, and she had a mixed company in the room. It was men and women all playing games. And she sat there dressed, sitting on the bed. And I remember thinking, where's the birth energy in this birth? <laughs> it's very scientific. Yeah. And, uh, and then sure enough, as soon as everybody left, I heard some sounds of her like making some sounds. And then um, it sounded like sex in the other room. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And then the baby came. And I thought, okay, there's, um, there's some essential ways in which our culture hasn't quite figured this out
1: yeah. f- currently, because yeah. it's all
2: about birth practice. Birth has happened the same for thousands of years, but how we currently culturally treat birth and support birth. So that connection piece, both from being the preemie connection to mother and baby, and then our cultural process of connecting to the woman's body and the humanness of that birth process. And I use woman loosely through our interview, knowing that all people of all genders with female body parts choose to birth. So just acknowledging that. that.
0: Yeah. Can I ask what the symbol tattooed on your arm is?
2: Yes. So, um, this is the symbol and the molecular structure of oxytocin. Okay. So it's love under a microscope. Oxytocin is the love hormone. Okay. It, uh, if I'm talking to the boys at the coffee shop, who are the most commonly uh, common ones to interrupt me and ask what this tattoo is, it's uh, it's oxytocin is orgasm. It's the natural state of our desire to bond with others, and it travels all the way through from sex to the contraction making process in labor to bonding uh, uh, a parent with their baby when they're when their baby when they're breastfeeding. Cool. So I like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's a
1: pretty cool (laughs) tattoo. We can join the tribe. We have, we have tribe members. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start at the beginning. How is pregnancy and birth significant to redefining yourself and other relationships?
2: Mm. I love this question because I was thinking about even the name of this podcast, hearts and other sex parts. To me, I think of one of the most influential people that came to my early 20s was a male obstetrician, actually, Michelle O'Donnell, who wrote The Scientification of Love. And he described how the, the, the physiological process of birth happens from the male ejaculate releasing to the egg ejaculating basically from the fallopian tube into the body connecting and then the baby as it developed the essential way in which birth would happen is that it'd be a fetal ejection response. So I right away came to this idea of birth in terms of this kind of understanding, like really getting to the place of how physiological birth happens. And so it was all intertwined immediately with sex, both on that microscopic level and then also on the macro macro side of like two humans falling in love, and uh, or desiring this
0: process. Okay, That's so nice. d- question. the so doula, I guess what what is a birth doula, and how can how can you help with any type of birth as mm-hmm. as you mentioned?
2: So the birth doula is a role that is an age-old tradition of bringing in experienced people that have gone through the process to nurture, educate, and emotionally and physically support people in the process. So unlike the clinicians in the room, and I actually trained as a midwife originally, and I departed from that profession when I realized that the moment I started listening to heart tones, I stopped listening to the woman. And so I came to this process really acknowledging that there was this moment when emotional support and the physiological process of surrendering your body to that energy Mm -hmm. were linked. And so it turned me into this role where I was like, okay, I'm shifting gears into this place. And now I find 20 years later, that it's this magical time when people are starting to hear culturally that this is important, Um, that it's starting to look like something that people are paying attention to, Oh, when we, the words we use, the lighting, the environment helps this person's process to unfold, or doesn't.
1: And all of that you just said, that's what happens in sex, too.
2: Absolutely. Like reason. Re- the
1: mood, the energy exchange. How did you, you put it very beautifully? The, the energy to be able to uh, surrendering to the moment.
2: You know, one of the things that was most powerful for me early in my career was a moment when I walked into a hospital down a very long hallway through three security guard sections where they check you off to let you in and get badged. And I get a text from my clients and they said, okay, just wait a minute outside the room because we're finishing nipple stimulation. (laughs) And I just thought, that's my job right there. And I've had that numerous times nipple I said
0: I want to stimulate nipples
2: <laughs> <laughs> for a job would you like to stimulate nipples we <laughs> can okay. I train in this stuff too you know <laughs> cn class sex
1: and birth birth and sex <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so the what is I guess then the difference between being a doula and being a therapist I mean you're working with their mind oh, where's the line I guess
2: so we have uh, a good distinction i think that comes from the licensed massage therapist like is licensed to touch therapeutically where there's a where there's an where there's a different dividing line where it's like okay there's an end result to these muscles having this touch for us we let the person guide that energy so i'm looking to bring them comfort i'm tuning into their coping and they tell me when they start to feel more comfortable i don't have a goal of saying Out of this process, you're going to have an end destination that makes you better off even. Mm -hmm. I hope that at the end, there's a positive feeling around the birth process, but we're not unpacking or even linking the idea that this could be rooted in their sexual history. This could be rooted in their, and then being responsible for that. You know, it's like if there's sexual abuse, that's very much a part of the process of birth. Mm -hmm. It's very impactful, And yet as a doula, I would be working with that in that moment. Do the words I'm saying bring, bring you feelings of safety. Um, is my touch bringing you comfort? And so it's so much in the moment that it's not, um, it's a, it's the lay person's job. And, and often it's just me doing that while still guiding the people in the room. Like I'm looking at their partner and their grandma and their sister, their nurse, their midwife their doctor everybody in the room and making sure that
0: all of them are bringing that level of energy to the room is is there ever a time when you maybe have a dis- you disagree with their choice of you said all these other people in the room <laughs> if if they choose to I guess just disagreement in, in the room <laughs> well, <laughs> so the this next is a- moves or what's happening yeah <laughs> well
2: yeah. <clears throat> so um, well, Iime Gaskin is one of my influential uh, influential people as well. And she's the mother of all midwives. We'll get to hear some great quotes from her afterwards. she talks about the idea of birth and orgasm being linked. So, you know, how would you help someone have an orgasm? Would you turn on bright lights and have twenty people staring at you? Mm-hmm. You know, what would be those essential ingredients to creating that uh, sense of intimacy and openness that can allow that to occur?
0: That may be, be the case for some people.
2: That's <laughs> true. Actually, so I'm orgasmic a little bit birth. yeah. <laughs> <so> <laughs> we you, can go to orgasmic birth because yeah. I was like now I'm off onto just, no, well, I him. was in the vagina monologue. <laughs> not the vagina monologues. I did the
1: um, vagina talk show.
2: where yeah. I was one of the people up there on that stage <laughs> with the bright lights and getting off
1: on it. So nice. <laughs> Different well, but so you're ta- yeah, so you're bringing up orgasmic birth. There's this I this what is that? What and how does sexuality play a role in the birth room that you're talking about? I think it's the biggest kept
2: secret. Although I will tell you, this is the history of orgasmic birth. I'm not affiliated with that organization. Just yeah. to be clear, I'm yeah. a fan of the movement and I'm a, uh, uh, I would say an experienced fan in the sense that I see it lived and, and, and experienced through families. Like I've witnessed women using masturbation as a form of coping through the stretching and opening of the vagina during the pushing phase. Um, orgasmic birth it actually came about where they did a focus group when they discovered they were going to launch this program about this kind of coping and then they did a focus group and they had a big long name for it and then they said well who would watch this film and they used a bunch of words and it came out to be that most people would watch the film if it had the word orgasm in it and so this movement launched and it was actually valid that the idea that if we allow women and birthing people to describe their own birth sensations, they're much more vast than the pain scale that they use in the hospital Yeah. with the number zero to 10. In fact, um, in the hospital, they might say zero is as you're asleep and 10 is you're burning by fire which sounds excruciating. And I don't know why you'd bring that into the birth room at all. Like, why would you mention that to this person who's living that in their moment right now? But if you allow people to say, well, what was that experience like? They might say pressure, pulling, crampy, uh, tenderness, openness, pain can be in there, but it's also, um, orgasmic and cosmic, sensual pleasure. I had a woman that, Pulled her husband into the bathroom, which is one of the areas where birth can happen in its most private moments. Yeah. And I was listening on the other side of the door and I heard her say, You have to kiss me. Because Ina Mae Gaskin said, If you kiss me, then we'll have this baby. <laughs> and as a doula, one of my quotes is that, you know, this baby's going to come out the way that you got the baby in here. And that's for all couples. You know, whatever drove that initiation. And I'm not talking just about heterosexual penis and vagina sex that makes that happen. There's an energy and a desire that created this desire of this couple that has an energy connection that brings that in. Even if it was brief in one moment, even if they're not together anymore, and we see all different types of folks, um, and, and there are many different kinds of circumstances, but from nature's standpoint, there was that energy in that moment that sparked it. And so we try to look at that. And that can bring a sense of safety for people. It can bring a sense of body awareness. Um, really, they can't overcome birth, doesn't you know, babies don't want to be born on hidden ground. They push everything up and out of the body in yeah. order to come out. So I've heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like one of my favorite experiences of that was a woman who was raised in a culture where she was taught that she could not express herself. That was not allowed. Yeah. And so she started to make some sounds and her partner was like getting visibly distressed, like, whoa, what's happening here? And so I just encouraged her, I said, you can make these sounds and go deeper with them, whatever feels good. And she said, I know I'm loud, but it's working. And then her partner, we encouraged her partner to make sounds. And then it was funny because you know, I didn't want to tell them that down the hall they could probably hear it and it sounded like loud sex
0: but it was birth. That's That's really rad. Uh, Have you ever, um, it sounds like it, uh, helped births of uh, LGBTQ parents or maybe... um, I'll cut off there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So personally, my experience is, I think, mostly geared towards lesbian couples. So that's um, an opportunity I've had to see culturally and specifically in the nature of the dynamic of, and I also, I would say that what I find is that really working with people where they are. So they like letting them be the definers of their relationship, of the gender roles that they bring to the process, the energy they bring to the process. Um, birth naturally kind of, I think historically has had lots of women coming together. Yeah. And yet even but dads to, can give birth.
0: Yes, well, that's what I was
2: going to say. So that's one spectrum Yeah, in terms of the lesbian couple that I was speaking to. which, But then gender energy is shifting. And so, um, so now we have, I think in Portland, we have more acceptance than most communities. And yeah. I run a, a program on Facebook called Doula Talk. And it's really fascinating to see people from all over the world have this conversation and then realize how our awareness has to grow as a culture. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we've had a couple of dads giving birth in Portland. Yeah. Like this year. And I think that has allowed us, I haven't personally had the opportunity to be present. Um, but for me, I feel like it's, I've always lived in a place that love makes the, love makes the birth happen. So I'm, I want to know what that is uniquely to that couple and how Mm -hmm. they define it.
1: What are, within speaking about these couples, whether lesbian or a dad giving birth, within the um, non-heteronormative scenario we're used to, what are some of the challenges that you've seen or that uh, that mm. you understand to be for these other folks?
2: The biggest one is the acceptance of the community around them. I think the number one factor they have to deal with is navigating a health system which is new to them, a health system which may not be tailored to their uh, gender pronouns to their definitions of themselves uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: having to, you know, wear like a shirt that says, yeah, I'm, I'm mom. Like, not like, Oh, are you the sister? Are you the auntie. Yeah. You know, no, I'm yeah. the partner. This is my yeah. birth too. Um, so really having to navigate the unfamiliar non-personalized culture in which people birth today. So that's the one major factor. Um, the, I think the other one for folks in my experience would be allowing themselves to feel private and intimate enough to express themselves in their relationship, how it suits them in a way that they can feel would be safe and expressed that because it goes back to that oxytocin again. So what is that, that they need to feel comfortable and safe and not judged? Yeah. Cool. And, uh, other than that, it's humans are humans and, We all come with our quirks. And so my every day, what gets me up every day is the idea that I get to go in and I average about 10 births a month now in our women's clinic Mm -hmm. uh, and figure out like, what's that unique chemistry that's going to come together with this team and this couple and what they need and the people and the couple, it could be mom and her sister. I attended a birth recently where it was the birthing woman and her neighbor and her neighbor stepped in and was like the most powerful anchor for her. Like that That and knowing that this little person has never been born before, it's like brand new every day. Like that to me is what gets me there.
0: Okay. We've talked about uh, the pre-birth, during birth, birth doula. Uh, you also help with some postpartum bonding, breastfeeding. I honestly don't really even know much about what postpartum depression is, or what causes it. Uh, And I think part of that is because we just don't talk, it's not talked about a lot. Uh, Maybe if we talked about how common it is, then it would help normalize its reality and maybe break the shame for I think some people that feel um, that are going through postpartum depression. Uh, Could you maybe tell us what what is postpartum depression and kind of what causes it or how long it can last? So, the journey of birth for
2: the human that's partaking in the birthing process is this incredible transformation of their being, their body, their soul. It takes everything and redefines it. It's nature's design, like, really, that's why that body was ultimately put on the planet from nature's perspective, is to birth the next being. And yet, nothing prepares that person in the current form of our culture for what that looks like so uh understanding for example in the birth process how everything stacks on top of themselves in terms of the nuances if you've had sexual history and trauma boy if we look at epigenetics if your grandmother has had sexual history and trauma that is cellularly embedded into you and then you're birthing and uh, and so we get all of those pieces mounting on top of each other, and then you get to to the place in which the birth is over, and now there's this journey of recovery into postpartum, and all of those things can be triggers historically, physiologically for mood disorders, not just postpartum depression. There's like five or six of them. Yeah, of five, five or disorders. six what? of different kinds of mood disorders that can be triggered by the onset right. of really pre and then pregnancy birth and postpartum. So okay. yeah, it can be
1: like postpartum depression. There can be postpartum anxiety. There can be postpartum psychosis. There can be postpartum trauma. Is there another one that you're referring to? I'm, uh, postpartum. I'm missing one.
2: Let's see. Postpartum psychosis. I think, well, you're the expert in this department. <laughs> I think <laughs> I am and I'm coming up the blank
1: right now, but yes, there there yes. And there, OCD,
2: I think there's the, uh, um,
1: the, um, Oh yeah. OCD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is an, an extension of the anxiety.
0: Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, you, so you help with them bond with the baby if they're going through this or. So my comment is to suggest that
2: if we look at it, we can't look at it as a standalone event. We look at it as a continuum between the whole process about how this person has walked through the process. And then to recognize that it extends all the way through the childbearing year, including if there's a breastfeeding or chest feeding relationship, the hormonal process is affected all the way to the end of that relationship. So when we hear about it in the news, it's often this like undiagnosed mood disorder. You know, the woman throws her baby off the bridge, um, which is then scary for anyone to feel like they could talk about it. So there's a silence of shame kind of component to it. And there's also the sense that it's immediate, like right after birth. And I'll use myself as an example, because I haven't really been authorized to talk about other people's stories, but in mine, I had amazing pregnancies. I had a beautiful, two beautiful home births of my sons. I have a 10 year old and a 14 year old, and I had a beautiful immediate postpartum, like great breastfeeding relationship. Uh, and then in about a year when they started eating solid foods, the hormones started to like die off. And we and then all of a sudden I'm laying with my chiropractor on the table and we're bawling our eyes out going, Oh my gosh, we both have one-year-olds. This is so overwhelming. I'm not sleeping. I want to kill my partner. I want to go and Actually for me, I wanted to be buried at the bottom of the river because I just wanted it to be silent. Uh-huh. Like I couldn't get quiet enough. I was like, please bury me under a tree. And I even moved my whole family by the time that hit my second pregnancy, two hours out of town to a town of 500 people. And I literally would go to this one tree every day and sit there and pray that I could be buried under this tree to survive that. Even though I loved my children, I didn't yeah. want to kill myself. And nobody talked about that. Yeah. Right? Like like there was no room. And so I think there's a spread of places where we don't have support in this realm of of mental Need and uh, and and a lot of it, like for my experience, a lot of it was supported by having this physiological success of breastfeeding. Like it helped, and then mm-hmm. it, when it went away, it, then it did go away.
1: Um, but you also brought up two so. big things. You know, you brought up the shame part, and also when when I talk to moms and other parents, that lack of community that that oh, we yeah. used to have, that tribal community is not around. We don't have. Especially in Portland, we have so many transplants. We don't have the mamas and the aunties and the cousins and the, the neighbors. Just that communal. We don't have that like like our ancestors did, or even other countries still do.
2: Oh yeah, I mean the grocery store is the most common place for people to like bump into each other, and yet it's filled with like f- like f- fear. Like I, I described earlier, um, a visit to. Trader Joe's. And as a doula, like I had three people approach me that were my clients. And it was the first was this woman and she just came in tears and she was like hugging me. And she's like, you're my doula. I can't <laughs> believe I see you. My brother's driving the baby around and here I am. And then right then another client walks by and I'm holding her like waving. Cause she's like, Hey, nice to see you. And she's like, here's my baby. Yeah. And I walked over to the like snack area. And this guy says, Oh my God, I haven't seen you in so long. And I thought, have I dated you? <laughs> oh shit. And then he's like the baby is so great. Now I'm like, oh, okay, a dad. <laughs> so people don't have that. And I when I had my mood disorder I was afraid to go to the grocery store because I was one of the professionals. I did not want to look like the doula who was going to lose her shit in the grocery store yeah. with a two year old and a newborn. And then my practice would go away. Like I was filled with shame for being the, the, a professional who still had the
0: disorder. I don't know how anyone doesn't lose their shit in a grocery store with a two year old <laughs> anymore. I almost yeah. lose my shit in a grocery <laughs> store from other two year olds like, yes. running at my feet. <laughs> um, yeah, yes. Anyway. Uh, so
1: speaking of support, another, I mean, what you're talking about, you know, doulas through the range of the birth and also postpartum doula can help feel some of those needed sense of support. And so along with the birth doula support, you also provide, um, breastfeeding support. What does that breastfeeding support look like? How does that helpful?
0: Breastfeeding or chest feeding? Yeah.
1: Breastfeeding or chest feeding. Yeah. Yeah. I like
2: that. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, so as a trainer and as a doula, I, th- we've parceled out our two, uh, support systems into two different roles. So the birth role attends, someone attends the birth and then sees them immediately in postpartum. And then the postpartum doula stays with the family into the first three months. If that's when their connection lasts and helps them integrate a new sense of normal and beautifully they provide, um, kind of the the on the ground support that's non-clinical so they're doing sleep support and food preparation and playing with the sibling and helping with breastfeeding and like what a healthy latch looks like and seeing them in their home rather than in a clinic setting for how the parent is sitting and you know staring at the wall and totally bored out of their mind trying to nurse the baby versus turning and looking out the window i mean there's all these subtleties to uh, how we experience this and then also this sense of using our bodies in a totally new way. Yeah. Um, people say that breastfeeding shouldn't hurt, but my goodness, I don't know. I mean, I've never had a sexual experience where I've had 18 hours of somebody sucking on my nipple. Like it's <laughs> yeah. just going to be a different thing
1: going on there. <laughs> well, and just any, when you hear that word should in yes. the context, you're like, mm, mm. let's explore that. Uh, yeah.
0: Breast identities. That's what, uh, Sarah Swalford, I, one of our first guests on the show said your breast identity changes as you go through this process. It goes from pre- being kind of often more sexualized to now it's working.
2: (laughs) Yes. I heard one of your previous podcasts and the woman talked about, one of your guests talked about her um, change and her sexual desire and how this body then was being used so much for the baby. Um, It's interesting because I had a completely different experience. My sexuality was completely woken up by the process. I mean, I was a pretty sexual person, but I was pretty limited in my ability to express it with my partner. Um, and just like, just maybe like just naivete, like, okay, I'd been with this person since I was 20. So it's like, Oh, these are the things we just do.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
2: uh, and then having another human come through my body and go, wow, that person just came out of nowhere. And then now my body's completely different. And I, Ina I Mae mean, Gaskin talks about one of the ways in which you have to give birth is sometimes you have to visualize being huge. And I, the, one of my favorite songs, that I bring into my trainings is Storm Largest Song, Eight Miles Wide. Uh-huh. And hers is about the body being a sexual experience of the my vaginas eight miles wide. And for me, I feel like it's that birth mantra, but also that it's this um, super-vagantastically mystical core. And that... <laughs> is activated. Well,
1: yeah. Dang. And that's another thing that's not talked about. So we have this one, one of it where women, there's these women that experience pain and struggles sexually, but also there's this other end of like, there's also one that are like woken, Oh yeah.
0: They're woken up to their
1: sexuality. Totally.
2: Like I was a goddess and I knew it and felt it. And, um, and it really, the thing it did is it propelled my partner to our completion of our relationship though. Yeah. Like that part of that was over. And now I date men specifically that match that level of that
0: energy. It's really interesting. It's powerful. Well, it's such a,
1: yeah. Growth. Like growth, like any anything else you experience.
0: Yeah, highly, yes. highly emotional events. I mean, the theme. It seems like the theme here is your role of support and healer, and a lot of the work that you do. And you're also a wedding officiant, as well as a divorce doula and a death doula. And maybe we'll have you on the show to talk about some of these other areas. But I mean, you're supporting many big, often highly emotional events in people's lives. Is it hard to balance all of that with, I mean, your own emotional experiences or pr- maybe, you know, prior trauma or triggers or things that you have when you're helping other people? I mean, that's I, gotta be hard I do sometimes. feel like there are people put on the planet specifically to be in those places. And we
2: are the oxytocin junkie tribe. Like there is nothing greater than that moment of stepping onto that threshold when, you know, this is like. A moment that this person's going to know, remember the rest of their lives and you have an m- opportunity to help them feel safe in that moment or make that leap together. And, uh, and so it feeds me. I mean, I, and that, I, I, there's, there's a way in which I think the people that will do this work long-term know that that it give the energy of that experience feeds the people in it. Um, it requires extremely good boundaries and Brené Brown, who's our lovely, amazing, culturally specific shame expert now has given us lots of good fodder for that. But she talks about compassion. The most compassionate person that she knows are the people that can have very good boundaries. So for me, I feel like that's something I've cultivated.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. The boundaries to be able to handle that emotion.
2: Mm-hmm. And then I seek it out. So then to me, whether it's a birth or a wedding or a death or a divorce, like that's the place I know that is, um, just my favorite place to be. It's kind of hard to come home and cook dinner after that though. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: My kids eat a lot of taco salad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, talking about this tribe, um, what about these people that you're that you're training to become doulas? Why why do you think they want to become doulas?
0: Yeah, well, and just like how do you train someone to be more? I mean, communicative and other soft skills that go along with it. It sounds like. Mm-hmm.
2: So I've had the pleasure to train people from all walks of life, and uh, culturally, religion, gender, uh, sexual expression, uh, male, female identified. And the thing that I think it has in common is that the, they have this desire to like me be in that place where they want to support people in that moment of transition. And all I'm doing is giving them a framework to discover their own gifts So a lot of the work we're doing is to give them the self work when they go through a four day training, for example, they're doing a lot of self work and self discovery around having the confidence and the power of some specific skills like listening, um, you can train listening as a muscle and it's a skill you can train people to have. I wish we could train our president <laughs> right, or whoever, it is, whatever we're calling him. Side note. <laughs> <laughs>
1: listening um, is, I always say listening is the most important communication skill.
2: Oh yeah. And, and I've seen this on the ground, how, Even the care providers, because now we're having this conversation, I'll backtrack, but now we're having this conversation around trauma-informed care. The essential ingredient to when people are traumatized, if you're a healthcare provider, when you're traumatized, the number one reason that you can't move forward is you haven't been listened to. So what happens is then, we see this culturally all the time, people dump on the next pregnant woman they see. So the doctor, for example, that says to my client, Hey, you can't go home right now, even though I kind of think you're in early labor, because the last time I sent somebody home, the baby died.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, that doctor hasn't had somebody to process with yet. And that left that unfortunate landing of that information into an inappropriate spot, which is on top of those parents. It has nothing to do with their story. So it's going back to storytelling. It's that ability to really listen to the point where your heart is healed and... You feel like you can stand in this place where people are telling their stuff. Like I had another woman that was told by a psychic to become a doula. She came to one of my, so you want to be a doula intros. Mm -hmm. And then I pulled her aside after the session and I said, tell me why you really came. And she described having had six miscarriages and she spent the next 45 minutes telling me all the details. And I just sat with her and I held her hands and I looked at her And then at the end, she said, okay, I know why I came now. It wasn't that I needed to be a doula. I needed to be heard by a doula. Yeah. Because nobody else, this was her first moment when anybody could have sat with her pain without shying away or coming up with all the things we do. It's just like, oh, you know, well, at least it'll get better. You always, you know, you can try again, or there's so many things we do to cover up pain.
1: Well, the cliche, yeah, the cliche phrases that don't actually help, and then really, it's it's silent to them. It's the person saying, "Oh, it'll be okay," because I don't want to listen to this. I don't want to have. I don't want to be a part of this. So it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Distance. Distance. Distance.
2: Yeah. Which, and of course, now we're spiraling because I would take that information right into <laughs> postpartum again, and we were talking about mood disorders and self care and self care. Yes, and it's all linked. And then the power of this work is that we have to practice it ourselves first. So, yes. To be, to be a doula, it's not, it's a being, it's not a doing, it's being in the calling. Whether I go to a birth ever again, this is a way of being that requires me to be fully present.
1: That is one of the things I feel like I learned the most, the life skill of being a doula is that you really have to be in the moment because you don't know when birth's going to happen. Being on call as a doula and you just are in that moment and you know, sitting at the dinner table, you may get a phone call or in the middle of the night and your, your senses are so heightened and you can, there you go talking about sex again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Being present. That
0: makes the best sex.
2: Yes. And it's all intertwined. It's all intertwined. It's super fun because to me, it's even the, even the funny parts around birth, like getting people to realize, yeah, we're talking about your vagina and you got 20 people standing in here. Or when you start getting naked and bloody and cursing, we get excited. Like, you know, these, all these things where it's like, let's not forget that it is a sexual
1: reproductive process and they're all linked. A sexual reproductive process. That's all linked. Mm -hmm. It's a good, uh. Good
0: you, do you, uh, do your, the trainings? So we're out here at mother tree. Yeah. I guess we didn't say that yet. I'm so excited. It's beautiful <laughs> out here. We're out by Powell view. It's gorgeous, <laughs> uh, out in the country. Do you do the trainings out here or,
2: um, so this land is very intentional. Uh, mother tree is the name of a real tree that exists in the beginning of my practice, I was doing a journal blogging collage thing. I guess the word blog didn't exist then. but um, And I walked out of this person's house and there was this tree and she was just fully embodied as this goddessy per bark kind of bulged out like she was holding her belly. and uh, And then ever since then, I've been watching as my practices attracted people from all walks of life, like IT people and medical people. And they're all like, well, I don't want anything woo woo, but sure enough, they would have a giant tree tattooed on their back. Yeah. Right. Right. So people (laughs) have, I mean, I I have to think about my language because the language that serves that tree energy has been, you know, tapping into your inner mother nature in birth and beyond. And so coming to mother tree here was really about intentionally pulling people far enough away from the city that they would connect to their own natural process their own natural response and i'm not talking about birth in that way i'm talking about like the instinctual response of how they cope and and then what what and hearing their own inner wisdom so that's another piece that doulas bring is we're not here to tell anybody a formula for how to do things we're here to help them reflect you know reflect to their own experience and what works for them so that's how all my stuff ties together whether it's taking people on a walk in the forest to discover a conversation with a tree to, um, having a tree lover to having
1: a baby. You well, know, this, yeah. I mean, speaking of the trees, outside, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you mentioned you have some other projects going on and you talk about forest therapy. Tell us a little more about these projects and, and other things you have going on as well. I am very
2: excited about this next level of the process for me. I think I'm birthing something new. Uh, most of the people that have come through my trainings leave wanting to be in that bubble more. They want to be in that experience. So I've just been designing retreats in my head for this idea of taking people through some of the doula's guide to everything, like is how it's kind of framed right now in my brain. And it really means bringing people to a place where they can give themselves permission to discover themselves in that way um, that inner wisdom that we would ask and call upon birthing people to have, to, to have themselves. And the association of nature and forest therapy came along about two years ago and they've been, I think they're like 10 years old now, but the, um, I have since, since I can remember, I have had a spiritual connection with trees and they espoused, um, an ancient practice from Japan that they brought to the West, called forest bathing or shinrin yoku. And to me, it was like this next level of how do I help people? that are not just pregnant people. How do I yeah. help people do this work on themselves when they're done with the childbearing cycle, which is where I am. I'm in my mid forties, I'm done having babies. So this kind of is the new layer where I feel like I can bring some of these skills to
1: um, people of all different ages. Wow. That sounds, I want to go do that right now. Let's go outside. I definitely want to have you back for just that. Yes. (laughs) I I want to to go put the goats. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So Jesse, how can people
2: get a hold of you? Um, they can find me at my website, jessiremer.com. J E S S E like my grandfather, R E M as in Michael E R and mother tree. They can just search mother tree. And those are the two easiest ways to, to reach out. I'm better on internet at 2 a.m. when I'm doing a birth call night than I am on a phone call until, until it's
0: uh, in person like this. <laughs> okay. So this is normally the part where we would cut and read a closing poem, but there's been so much talk of Ina May Gaskin, the mother of midwifery. Uh, so instead of the poem, Mia and Keely thought it'd be fun to just read some quotes Uh, from Ima I started looking them over and she seems very funny (laughs) actually I so I'll start I want to read the first one and then maybe we can switch and you'll read this next couple but the my favorite one was The human species is no more unsuited to give birth than any other of the 5,000 or so species of mammals on the planet. We are merely the most confused.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like the next one. Uh, Breast stimulation is especially effective in starting labor at term when it is combined with sexual intercourse. Unless your partner is an an abysmally poor lover, this combination is by far the most enjoyable method of induction.
0: Yes. I want to (laughs) help.
1: Okay. Jay will help with the next bird
0: That's uh, why be a doula because you get to help yeah. <laughs> uh, This next one's good Again keeping in mind that Woman can be not necessarily Replace that with any uh, Pronoun but yes. if a woman Doesn't look like a goddess during labor Then someone isn't treating her right The way a culture treats women In birth is a good indicator Of how well women and their contributions To society are valued and honored So I like that um, these next couple kind of... This next one goes further into that. Would you read the next one? A society that places a low
1: value on its mothers and the process of birth will suffer an array of negative repercussions for doing so. Good beginnings make a positive difference in the world, so it is worth our while to provide the best possible care for mothers and babies throughout this extraordinarily influential part of life.
0: Heck yeah. And...
1: And to round us out for the day. (laughs) The
0: last one. Pregnant and birthing mothers are elemental forces in the same sense that gravity, thunderstorms, earthquakes, and hurricanes are elemental forces. In order to understand the laws of their energy flow, you have to love and respect them for their magnificence at the same time that you study them with the accuracy of a true scientist. Yeah. I just love the respect, and it's... It's like, no pun intended, put the pussy on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? It usually works out pretty well in society if that happens. I guess I should say pun intended. (laughs) Anyway, Jesse, thank you for meeting with us today. Uh, Thank you so much, Jesse.
1: It's been really fun to be out here. Oh, it's such
0: an honor. Thank you, guys. And to our listeners, that's a wrap for today. But remember to subscribe to our podcast, Hearts and Other Sex Parts, on iTunes and SoundCloud. We are also on Instagram and Facebook as Hearts and Other Sex Parts. Feel free
1: to write us feedback or questions by direct messaging our Instagram or Facebook pages or emailing us at heartsandothersexparts at gmail.com. Also, if you want to support our podcast expenses and educational resources, go to GoFundMe.com and find our Hearts and Other Sex Parts donation page, which is also linked in our Facebook bio. Yeah,
0: seriously, people, because we can't pay our guests yet. We can't pay you but thanks for the coffee.
2: I was thinking I should make a donation to you for making the, it's like a marketing opportunity for me to get to
0: hang out with you. Uh, anyway, so thank you for listening. Your hosts encourage you to stay open and remember, self-love, self-love is the best love. love.